the mysterious disappearance of a 30-year-old mother has captivated residents of central Pennsylvania for over three decades. With potential connections to other unsolved crimes, a history of allegations made by local residents, and no new information from the Attorney General's office since they took over the case in 2018, small-town theories, conspiracies, and suspicions continue to run rampant today. This is the cold case of Barbara Miller. About last night, a true crime podcast. Welcome back to About Last Night. I'm your host, Anna Wiest, an advocate for justice, with Francis Scarcella, reporter from The Daily Item. Here's what we know so far. Barbara Miller disappeared on June 30th, 1989, after attending her best friend's wedding. She was reported missing five days later by her ex-boyfriend and lead suspect, Mike Egan. The case went cold for several years until Sunbury detective Deg Stark reopened it in 2002 and conducted various searches. When Stark retired in 2005, the case went cold again until 2016 when Tim Miller was hired as Sunbury police chief. Chief Miller made big strides in this case until he resigned in 2018 and the Attorney General's office took over. In today's episode, we're going to get into what I like to call the shady details. As I've recently come across and been given the opportunity to evaluate some court documents, there have been several things that stood out to me as suspicious, especially in terms of how this case has been handled legally. One of the first things that stood out to me when looking over the original 1989 reports was that Detective Thomas Garlock, who served as a Sunbury detective from 1979 to 1995, reported that Mike Egan would only discuss the case with him. Later on, Garlock stated that he tried to pass the case off to another officer, but Egan refused. The reason that this seems weird is that, if you recall, Mike Egan actually served as a Sunbury police officer until he was arrested for extortion in 1980. Given this, it seems reasonable to think that Egan and Garlock would have had history, and could have even been friends. One of the first things that I noticed that just stood out to me a little bit as kind of weird was in the first report, it was written by um, Tom Garlock, he was a Sunbury detective, he was the first one to investigate this case, he wrote that Mike Egan insisted that he speak to Tom Garlock regarding the case. Francis, do you have anything to say about that? Uh, my understanding was they, uh, I think sometimes people are comfortable with people that they know. And I believe that uh, these two gentlemen kind of knew each other from being police because... Uh, Mr. Egan was actually a detective himself, so I think they kind of kind of knew each other, and he might have been felt more comfortable talking to uh, Chief Garlock uh, during that period of time. I mean, that that would be all I could surmise from that. So, if anyone is kind of thinking what I'm thinking, is that that could be a conflict because from the very beginning, Mike Egan was listed as a suspect. So, do we really want him to be talking to somebody that he's super comfortable with that he thinks might help him out? But then I also read that. 
Detective Garlock actually tried to hand off the case to another officer. He tried to recuse himself, in a way, from it. And Egan insisted that he talk to Garlock and refused to talk to anyone else. So I don't know what you would do in that type of situation. Do you force him to talk to someone else, or do you just go in and do it, even though you know it might be a little iffy? My understanding is, is that when somebody's willing to speak, regardless, they feel comfortable around people they know. I'm not necessarily sure... Uh, I would disagree and not say that it's that it's anything weird or anything like that. I mean, people are comfortable with who they know. So, uh, and again, I, I don't know that they knew each other. I, I'm just assuming being in the law enforcement field that during that time they did. Uh, so I would believe also that he was, uh, you know, you can, there's not a reason to pass it off for any other reason than maybe he wasn't working that day. Maybe there was other things going on. So you'll never know the, what, why that, what, you know, what, what that is, but I didn't find that to be, to me, I didn't find that to be anything of, of substance, especially since I've had several conversations along the way with uh, Chief Garlock, who uh, he was a terrific detective for somebody. And I know his exact words to me at one time was, this is the one case that will always bother him uh, because he wanted to see an outcome of it. So, I truly believe that uh, Detective and then Chief Garlock was was really keen on solving the case. Take it for what you will, but in my opinion, Detective Garlock tried to do the right thing and give the case to someone else, but Egan refused. Did he think his pal would help him out? I don't know. We'll be right back. At Sunbury Motor Company, the letters SMC mean a lot to us. Those letters stand for a tradition of trust since 1915. SMC stand for selling more cars and satisfying more customers. SMC. It stands for Sunbury Motor Company. And when you need a Ford, Hyundai, or Kia, you have our lowest price promise. Log on to sunburymotors.com to see more choices and save more cash. And then you can say, start my car. I'll take it. SMC. In the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf. The next shady detail that we're going to get into is one that we've already touched on a few times, but today we're going to dig in a little further. As you'll probably remember from previous episodes, late Northumberland County Judge Samuel Rank had owned the home that was lived in by Kathy Reichenbach, Mike Egan's sister. There's nothing wrong with that in itself. Anyone can rent from anyone. It became questionable when Kathy Reichenbach was charged with 10 felony drug counts It appears that Judge Rank may have been more involved in her case than he should have. Over two years, he granted her seven continuances. In the end, Reichenbach accepted a plea deal and was sentenced to five years probation and $900 in restitution. So how did this Milton home come come into sights? So police knew about this house for a long time. As a matter of fact, from my understanding with speaking to a uh, former uh, Sunbury officer who worked on the case, said that in 2009, uh, there was a tip came in that Barbara Miller was inside the house. The tip then eventually made its way to uh, someone. I wasn't able to find out who, but the officer then turned around and told me that they were told there wasn't enough to go to the house and then at that point they stopped you get a tip you find all this out there's not enough to go there 
but police said that the 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 home in Milton was very well known against all of law enforcement. And would would Sam rank would would he have still been alive when that tip came in? What was it, two thousand nine? Yes. He was still alive then. Correct. And it got shut down pretty much. They said not enough. And then when did he die? 2010, from my understanding. And they were given permission to search the house in... Seven years later. Huh. So they told they can't go in it from 89 all the way to 2017. And then suddenly they can go in it once the Northumberland County judges did. Weird. My understanding after uh, speaking with various officers and uh, getting my hands on some court documents, uh, it said that during the time that Kathy Reichenbach lived there, there was drug buys that were starting to occur at the house. Shortly therefore after, uh, the former late judge had sold the house to a family member. Uh, that was in about 1991 or so. Uh, and that was just after, from what I gathered, was close to four or five uh, of the controlled drug buys by law enforcement. That was uh, something that I found kind of odd, although he got rid of the home. So, you know, you take it with a grain of salt, I guess. But also, it was later discovered that, that uh, Reitenbach was the subject of a drug investigation which eventually led to her arrest and while she was living in that house in, in 1992. The funny part that I found about it is that she was charged with the 10 felony drug charges by Milton police. So that's a lot. I mean, that's just, that's a lot. Over the course of the next two years, let me, let me just say, also, when Reichenbach got arrested, uh, the, the late judge had did not own the house. Over the course of the next two years, from following the documents, it shows that the former owner of the house, which was judge the Samarine. late judge, granted seven continuances in the case. Is that typical? No. So seven continuances. What's the time? What What's that time frame? It was over the course of two years before she actually ended up, eventually, taking a uh, plea deal, plead guilty, and eight of the felony drug counts, including five for possession with the intent to deliver, were dropped, according to the court documents. I had the. Uh, suspicion at the time I was when I found this I was like I don't know I mean there could be a million reasons there could have been uh got evidence it could have been grant it could have been nothing more than the police still trying to get evidence together witnesses scheduling conflicts uh, a, a million different reasons why you can continue the case but I did call various other judges and 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 uh ethics commissions and to find out and I'm not sure that the late judge should have any had anything to do with this case or that Northumberland County should have had anything to do with this case. That's what I was going to say. Like tech, he didn't hear the case. Who, what, what judge heard the case? 
guy by the name of uh, Judge Barry Fudell. Okay, so Rank didn't hear the case. Did not. But he still granted seven continuances. Correct. And he worked with Judge Barry Fudell in the Northumberland County Courthouse. So, I mean, guilty by association? Like, I don't know. Should it have been heard in Northumberland County whatsoever? So when you were, you know, there's several reasons with that I explained about these recusals. But one of the biggest reasons that I found out after speaking to uh, various ethic commissions was financial reasons. So with financial reasons in mind, uh, according to the Pennsylvania Code, You can't find. You can't be involved in a case where you have a financial interest. So, did the former owner of the house have a financial interest at the time? It looks as though it started when the drug buys began, but then the house got sold. So, there's no more financial interest. I mean, I believe that it was sold to a family member. So, don't know. And then comes back after the case is over again that would not seem odd if there was any recusals did he recuse from the case he didn't he didn't go forward after those continuances 10 felony drug cases or charges I should say all of those were were basically dropped she received five years of probation and paid a, about a $900 fine in restitution after she was sentenced. She also remained in the same home throughout the entire case and didn't leave the residence until 2009. So it's a long time according to uh, records that were, when people rent, they fill out forms and we were able to get those documents. Uh, Rank bought the house back in 1997 and then sold it a couple months later. Suspicious? You, yeah, I mean, yes, of course. It, you, you would just think coincidence. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, you'll never know uh, what that was all about at the time in the first place. And, and I mean, but you have to pay the rent somewhere and somebody knows something and you know, it's just, it's just, it was just definitely something that was very odd. And anybody that sat and, and saw this or read about this, if you don't say that it's odd, then I don't know. I mean, that's just my, you know, that was my opinion at the time. And that's why I continued to look into that farther and further, because it just didn't seem like the case should have anything to do with this county. And it should have been probably kicked, in my opinion, to the attorney general's office. We'll be back after this. The America's Hose Company has been serving Sunbury and the surrounding community since 1893. Today, they respond to emergencies with multiple ambulance crews and a tower within the Sunbury Fire Department. Their social club is a hot spot for many Sunbury locals looking for a relaxed environment and a home-cooked meal after a long day on the job. Their menu offers the classics along with a new special every day at an affordable price for the whole family. Come and enjoy yourself for good food, good drinks, and good friends. 
Last, but certainly not least in today's episode, we're going to talk about the lawsuit that Mike Egan filed against the media and the discrepancies that lie in these court documents. In 2017, Mike Egan filed a 149-page defamation suit against several reporters and news outlets, including Francis Scarcella and The Daily Item. By definition, defamation is the communicating of false statements about someone that harms the reputation. So back in 2017, there was a lawsuit filed against several members of the media, including yourself. We're going to talk about that now. So who filed this lawsuit? Uh, uh, Mike Keegan. I mean, point blank, he, he was the guy that was in the newspaper, so Joseph Walter Egan was the name of the lawsuit. And what was he suing for? So he sued for uh, a couple different reasons. He sued for defamation. Uh, that's basically... I mean, the legal terms are all different, but it, but he sued because he was in the newspaper a lot. What happened to this case? It was dismissed. It means it was thrown out. There was no case. One of the biggest claims in this was that uh, we continuously, uh, I in particular, and another reporter uh, that worked on the stories with me, uh, falsely stating stated that he was responsible for the death. At no point did we whatsoever. Did police? Absolutely. 150,000 times over in court documents as an exaggeration. But he was listed quite quite often. Uh, he called himself a very hardworking, devoted husband, father, and grandfather. Could very well be true. Don't know. Didn't ask any of those questions because he wouldn't sit down and talk with us. So the only way we were able to, to get any kind of information from him is through his own words in a when he decided to take it upon himself to sue the media with uh for those that don't understand court documents that are public are exactly that they are public and they are allowed to be used and printed it's just the way it is and I, he did not get that memo at the time that those were allowed to be used so uh since that time i've had a couple of run-ins uh and you know a couple back and forth and no issues whatsoever i think he understood after the fact but uh, at no point did, did I, uh, any outlet I've worked for, or any other reporter make any accusations on anything. All we did is report a story. Uh, I've said this a million times over when you've asked me questions. I have no idea, nor does it matter. What matters is getting to the, to the truth. And that's why I've asked on several occasions for him to come and sit and have a nice conversation with us. And now, a quick word from our sponsors. Chris Reese is not your average insurance agent. He's your neighbor. He's a coach for your child's sports team. He is the loyal customer of your local small business. Chris Reese is an insurance agent who wants to support you as well as your community. He wants to help protect you from the risks of everyday life while also helping you realize your dreams. Offering personal and small business insurance as well as financial services, Chris Reese, State Farm Insurance Agent. For more information, call 570-495-4556 or email chris at sunburyinsurance.com. As Egan has yet to sit down and go on record to give any news outlet his story, 
this lawsuit is the first documentation of Egan's side. While it is certainly an interesting account, several statements made by Egan through his attorney do not match up to what police have reported for the past 33 years. So some of what was in the early documents and what what statements he makes in this lawsuit doesn't quite match up. So tell us a little bit about that. So uh, the one thing I will say is that it was kind of an interesting uh, read when you go through it because it's basically uh, an attempt to tell a story that went away from uh, us being able to ask him any questions. So there is some things that are different uh, that were in the early reportings that are in now. This is also written through uh, an attorney. So it's on his behalf, but through an attorney. And a couple of things that I found very interesting that were in it was uh, he talks about uh, some violent family members of Barbara Miller that never was mentioned before. Uh, also that the friends didn't like, I didn't like him because he was a cop. Also said that Barbara Miller was on various biker dating sites. Uh, biker women seeking biker man. Never saw any of those things ever mentioned. Uh, never saw any ads either. Uh, I would imagine that they would have been, if they were there, they would have been clipped out. I'm not saying they weren't. I'm just saying that uh, who knows where they could have been in the, in the you know, back in 1988, 89, 87 in that area. Uh also said that there was a family member that would become enraged and violent and threatened to hit her with a bat. He made a lot of a lot of statements that were in here to count contradict what police had said. And I personally think that was terrific on his part because he's countering what police are saying. And that's exactly what we wanted to hear is the counter to What's in those court documents? Uh, I think he did tell me personally at one time that he did sit down with police for a while and he spoke to them and and nothing more, nothing less. So it was interesting. Uh, he did bring up the fact that there was letters received from this outlaw mo motorcycle gang accusing her of being a police informant. Uh, there's some things in there that are the same, some things in there that are that are much different. But you went through it and you read it, so I would imagine that you saw the same kind of things. He kind of says that Eddie, actually he says it a couple different times, I think, that Eddie, Barb's son, was the last person to see her alive. But in the original reports, it says that Eddie never said that he saw his mother. There are some of the differences that that are in the police reports and that are in this. So that's where it becomes down to, you know, you believe which one you want to believe, but he's telling a different story than what was in the police reports. And then he also says that he dropped Barb off at a bar in Milton on the morning of July 1st, and then he saw her through his rearview mirror, I think it says, get into a car with an unknown man. And that was the last time he ever saw her. But a lot of stuff that I've read from, like, the original documents say that he saw her leave in a car with two men to go to a motorcycle rally. Again, that's, he's telling a story in here that doesn't match what's in, those, what's in those court documents, which is great on his part to clear his name. If that's what he's saying, 
It's just that it had to come through this kind of method to basically get a second side of a story. So do you have any final thoughts on this specific case, Mike Egan's case against the media? Uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I feel as if uh, there was a, a man out there who was felt like he was getting attacked, felt like it was all coming down. But you've got to understand this is a uh, you know more than three-decade-old case. Uh, the media is interested. People are interested. The community is interested. Uh, there was nothing that was done that, I mean, in, in my opinion and obviously in the opinion of uh, the court in this particular case was, was there. I mean, these are all... Public documents are public documents. We don't like what's in public documents sometimes, but it doesn't make it uh, wrong to print them. Uh, and unfortunately, in this case, like I said, it's a very simple fix. Have a conversation, sit down, let's chat, let's get it all out in the open, let's talk about everything, and, and not just with, with any suspects, but anybody. That's the best way to do it. And then there's no, no uh, unanswered questions in my opinion. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Next week, we are diving into a local theory. Is the missing persons case of Barbara Miller connected to a homicide that occurred three years prior? We think so. Stay tuned. Produced by Harv Productions, LLC.